Gospel according to Mark, chapter number 1. Start reading in verse number 14. Now, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and he left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his frame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And forthwith they came out of the synagogue, and they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever. And anon they tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And even when the sun did set, they brought him un, unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before the day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him, and when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. This morning I'm going to be preaching on a man with authority. A man with authority. And without any introduction, I'm just going to get right into the text. And you'll see that Jesus was a man of authority. He came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And this gospel was attended with power and might and authority because the king was at hand. And what we see here is Jesus had authority um, over all things. He had authority to call disciples. 
He goes to the synagogue, and he's got authority in the synagogue in his teaching and the ability to cast out and command demons. And then in that last section, we saw he had the authority to heal. So in these small sections, and then the, the next one, and then in the, even into chapter 3, we find that Jesus is a man with authority. So John was put in jail. He's decreased because the forerunner uh, has his mission to make Christ known. He decreases, Christ increases. And his mission is complete now. He announced the king, Jesus has now left the wilderness and enters into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The time has been fulfilled. The moment all the Old Testament saints have been looking for and praying for is now fulfilled. The king has come and the kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus goes and preaches repentance, believe the gospel. God has provided salvation through his son. And his son now says, repent and believe. So now about 100 miles north of Jerusalem, at the north end of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was walking by the sea and saw Simon and Andrew out fishing. They weren't fishing as a pastime. They didn't have uh, Zebco 33s on the bank. They were fishing with nets because that was their occupation. And they were out there working. And Jesus calls to them and says, follow me. And the brothers heard Jesus and they dropped their gear and they followed him. And they walked a little ways down and came upon another set of brothers. They were also fishermen and James and John were mending their nets in their dad's boat with uh, the hired servants, the workers. And Jesus calls to James and John out amongst the whole group of people. And they left their dad in the ship with the workers and the nets and they followed Jesus. Jesus had the authority to call these men. The prophets of the Old Testament called people to follow God. They would preach God's word. They would declare, thus saith the Lord, as God had given him them the message, and tell them to repent of their sins and follow after the Lord. But Jesus doesn't go and say, follow after God. He says, come and follow me. So this greater prophet tells men to follow him because he is the son of God. Jesus also didn't wait for people to come to him. He didn't go and, and stop and say, well, I guess if people want to come, they will come. Uh, if, if they want to be my disciple, they'll make inquiries about that. That's how they did it. In fact, in the, the Jewish uh, synagogues there, the, the, you would go to a rabbi and seek to be his apprentice or study underneath him. But Jesus went and sought out the men he wanted. James and John was in a boat with a bunch of guys. Jesus chose those two and said, you two, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Imagine if I walked down the street and just opened up the, a door to the store down there and yelled at the clerk behind the, the counter and said, hey, come follow me, I'll make you a preacher. I doubt too many people would come after and follow me. I doubt too many people would leave their, their, uh, their job. What if, what if I went and stopped at a road crew working on the side of the road and the guy's holding a stop sign and say, hey, 
drop that stop sign, drop your equipment, follow me and I'll make you a preacher. Well, they'd laugh at me and think I was crazy or probably both. But you wouldn't see people leave their jobs. But these men did. Jesus told them, come and I'll make you fishers of men. And they left it all and followed him. So he had the authority to call men. He had the power to make men uh, something that they weren't. The Lord picked these fishermen. He didn't pick orators. He selected just blue-collar workers. He didn't go and find scholars or scribes or even the Pharisees. Even in the book of Acts, the people could perceive by the way that they talked that they were not educated men. But they, were, they spoke with boldness. They spoke with clarity, spoke with power. Some people confuse this and say, well, you have to not study and you have to not be um, educated in order to preach. You have to be, no, the the disciples knew the word of God and they were very studious, but their their knowledge came um, from what God made them. And so the Lord made them into something that they weren't. He called them and made them fishers of men. And when Jesus called them in, answered that call. They forsook their work and followed after Jesus. And something to think about, he made them fishers of men. Men to go and to be caught. To go and to preach the gospel that Christ would have his people. So here Jesus is calling men away from their their secular calling, I guess we could say, to go out and to call other people to be believers in Jesus. You will go, and you won't go and catch fish, but you will go and preach the gospel and bring in the harvest, to to mix metaphors there. But that's what uh, Jesus has called them to do. So he has the authority to call men. Well, the next storyline, we find Jesus had authority in the synagogue. So now there's five of them. John the Baptist is in jail, but now we've got Jesus, and his four disciples. It's really astonishing to think about of all the millions and millions and millions of people who have trusted in Christ since this time. Of all the people who have been baptized and have served the Lord in the church. you got four, four guys following Jesus in a little tiny town on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. It's remarkable as we, we consider the growth of what the Lord uh, established here and his power in that. So Jesus and the newly called disciples make their way there to Capernaum. And that's, like I said, 100 miles north of, of Jerusalem, the north part of Israel. It was a Sabbath day, and they went into the synagogue. Synagogue, if you don't know, it's just a Greek word that means the gathering place. Um, it was probably, the concept was probably established during the exile because the Jews were taken in captivity by the Babylonians and they couldn't very well say we're going to go worship in the temple because they destroyed it. And so they were taken captives in a foreign land, but they still, uh, these these exiles still worshipped and wanted to, to gather together, so they met at the gathering place. And someone would read the word of God or they would pray together. They would uh, 
come together on the Sabbath day and they, they would worship, or maybe the feast days. And so that, that's probably where this practice came in, that they would come, they would meet at the, the meeting place. And they would come and, and they would gather together in the synagogue to hear God's word. By Jesus' time, the practice had just uh, carried on um, that they continued to meet at these places um, where they would gather on the Sabbath to hear God's word, to pray together, to be with God's people. And what would happen is they would gather together, somebody would pray, and somebody would read from the Old Testament. They had a way that they would go about reading through the Old Testament. They had sections that they would read each time. Somebody would stand up and they'd read that section. They'd go through the Law and the Prophets, and then they would read in that particular order. And after reading, there'd be a sermon. Now in this way, uh, this time, anybody might be asked to preach. Or somebody could stand up and say, I've got something to say, I'd like to, I'd like to preach. And so they, somebody would stand up, and they would teach. And so that was how Paul would go when he'd do his missionary work. He'd go into the synagogue, somebody would read the word of God, Paul would stand up and say, I've got something to say, and he'd preach Christ. Well, Jesus came to the synagogue, they read the word, and people's jaws dropped. They had never heard anybody preach or teach the way that Jesus did. He is much different than the scribes. The scribes were the scholars of the day. They were experts in the Jewish law. Their whole life was dedicated to not only reading and copying the word, but they dug down into the traditions and into the the different schools of thought, of, of interpretation of the law. So you had this interpretation school and that interpretation school. And the scribes would get up and say, now, Rabbi so-and-so uh, said that this means this, and, and this is our interpretation. They go down into the, the depths of their interpretation and their tradition. In so much as they make they made the tradition more important than the word. When Jesus came in, though, he didn't teach like one of the scholars. He taught with one with power and authority. Well, sitting there in the service, there was a man who had an unclean spirit, a demon, an unholy spirit. And there, right there, hearing the word of God, was this man demon-possessed. Well, when Jesus started teaching, that demon cried out, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come out to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Now, you think that caused a little bit of stir in the synagogue as they were meeting around? Jesus is teaching, all of a sudden somebody stands up, I know who you are the Holy One of Israel, have you come to destroy us? People probably looking at Jesus and looking back at that man, looking back at Jesus. What's he going to do? We're in a battle right in the middle of the service. There might have been little boys and girls. Mom, do I have to go to synagogue this morning? Yes, you have to go. We're going to go hear the Word of God. It's so boring. I don't want to hear those guys talk about... Stop. No, you're going to go. No, it's, it's too boring. I don't want to. Now, could you imagine now some demon-possessed man stands up and starts shouting at, the, at Jesus? 
And then everybody's looking at him. What's, what's going to happen? Well, they were in for a surprise this day. The demon screams and Jesus rebukes him. He tore the man or he shook him um, after he rebukes him. And that demon tore the man, I mean, and, and it's like he's having a seizure. He screamed with a loud voice and that demon left him. Well, now people's jaws really dropped. Not only have they never heard anybody preach like this, they've never even seen anything like this. And they started talking among themselves, Who, what is this thing? What is this new doctrine? He has the authority to command unclean spirits, and they listen to him. Well, after the service, word just spread like wildfire. What do we make of this? Well, what do you make of this? What do you make of this this morning? This, this man who come in and, and, and after teaching with authority, rebukes a, de- a demon, and that demon obeys him. Well, Jesus spoke with authority. He taught with authority. He taught for himself, in other words. Jesus opened the scripture faithfully and truly and rightly. He taught not a system of the scribe or another man, but he taught as one that had authority. So the scribes would derive their authority from the school of interpretation. Well, I'm a scribe, so I have authority, and I follow uh, this school of interpretation, so I get my authority from, from this school and, and, and so forth. Um, that's, uh, I heard somebody say one time, say whenever, uh, whenever you're unsure, just quote one of the old commentators, and then if you're wrong, you say, well, that's not what I think, that's what John Gill said, or something like that. Well, that, that's all they did. They taught the tradition. Well, Jesus comes in not as somebody just repeating a tradition. He comes one teaching the word of God. As one that didn't come to just uh, continue on in someone else's work of interpretation. He came on to declare, thus saith the Lord. He didn't come and say, well, I'm a scribe, so you have to listen to me. And I'm in this school, so you have to listen to me. He came and said, thus saith the Lord. This is what God has declared. Robertson said that Jesus struck a note that the scribes couldn't find. And that's why it shocked everybody because he's playing chords that uh, the the scribes didn't even know existed. And just hearing him and the way that he presented the word and taught the word, not as one that was just repeating what had been already brought out, but one who knew, one who was with authority declaring this is what the scripture says and this is what the scripture means. Here was someone that got their authority from, from on high, not from the schools. So he's got teaching authority. And he comes and has authority over the demons. Jesus went to war with this unclean spirit. And he won. The demon knew Jesus. And he recognized his authority and power right off the bat. They rightly identified Jesus as both the man from Nazareth and the Holy One. Not a Holy One, but the Holy One. He also correctly identified Jesus with the one with the power to judge the unclean spirit. Say, are you come to destroy us? They knew who Jesus was. 
They recognized who Jesus was. And Jesus doesn't falter. He doesn't back down. He rebukes the unclean spirit. He tells that unclean spirit, just in common words, he told him to shut up. Hold your peace. The same word here, to hold your peace, is translated to muzzle in other places in the scripture. Put a muzzle on it. Like you would an animal. Quiet. I don't want to hear it. Now who has the ability to tell you to hold your peace? If you were talking to somebody in the, at the gas station, somebody came up, told you, and came up to you and told you to shut up and get out of here, you might not take it too kindly, would you? You might not take that rebuke if, if somebody just comes up to and tells you to shut up and get out. You would see that as someone talking down to you. Somebody that, that uh, thinks that they're above you. Well, let's reverse it. What if you get pulled over by the state police and the officer told you to hand over your license and registration and you said, won't you just shut your mouth and get out of here? How do you think that would go? <laughs> Probably wouldn't go over too well, would it? You'd say, well, who do you, who do you think you are? What kind of authority do you think you have to talk to an officer of the law in such a way? Well, this demon was, was speaking to Jesus, and Jesus told him to hush his mouth. And you know what that demon did? He hushed his mouth. He silenced him. He told him, be quiet, and he was quiet. He, was like, he, he muzzled him like he'd muzzle a dog. Jesus had the power over these unclean spirits to command them, and they obeyed him. And not only did that demon hush his mouth, but Jesus told him to leave and he left. Compare this with uh, Acts 19. And this is striking for a number of reasons, but it's, uh, it's good to compare the difference in, in power and authority here. Acts 19 and verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons, one of Sceva, a Jew, and, and chief priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on, them, overcame them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And so, here you have exorcists, and that was a thing uh, during the time the Jews had, in fact, a ritual. I read a little bit of what they would do, and part of that was naming the name of, of the spirit, but that's pretty much all it was, was ritual. And, but Jesus came in here and did it. And so they were astonished that, that he actually did it. They'd never seen anything like this before. Well, here in, in the book of Acts, you got somebody who says, well, I'm going to do this. If Jesus can do it, and if Paul can do it in the name of Jesus, well, I'll do it just the same. So these guys come and say, hey, 
get out of here, unclean spirit. And the unclean spirit pretty much says, well, who in the world do you think you are? We know who Jesus is. We know who Paul is because Paul is the apostle of Jesus. But who in the world do you think you are? And so they, uh, they leaped on him, and that unclean spirit, that demon-possessed man, whipped him. All of them. So that's, that's the difference here. Jesus had authority and power, even over the unclean spirits. We see somebody actually doing it, not just going through the, the ritual of it. Our Lord, who calls his people to himself, has power over the demons, the mighty one. Our God and our King rules that even the unclean spirits obey his word. So the people left and they're just all of Jesus. What in the world is going on? What is this? I've never seen anything like this before. Something's happening. What does all this mean? This is not an ordinary Sabbath day. This is not an ordinary reading of the word. What's going on? Who is this man? What new doctrine is this? They connected the preaching of Jesus to his power. They were amazed at the authority with which he taught. They were amazed at the power that he had. But it was power over content. It produced amazement, but it didn't produce any faith. They, they saw how he said it and the way that he said it and, and the interaction with the demon. But what he said didn't make any impact. It was amazement rather than faith. So it's one thing to be amazed and stand in awe of Jesus. It's quite another to see his works and repent and believe the gospel. That was Jesus' message. So if you see this morning a man who can call men... A man who can do battle with the, the unclean spirits and, and be victorious and stand in awe of Jesus. But don't repent and trust in him and believe the gospel. Well, you've missed the message. You're like uh, the Jewish people here that said, what in the world's going on? This is amazing. But don't believe in the man. Don't believe in the person of Christ. Well, they left the synagogue and went to Simon's house, or the Peter, as we refer to him commonly. And James and John came too, and Peter's wife's mom was sick with a fever. And they went and quickly told Jesus about it. Maybe they wanted Jesus to pray or just telling him what was going on. But Jesus went to, goes to her and with great compassion and tenderness goes and takes her by the hand. Lifts her up off the sick bed. He healed her immediately. The fever broke, and she got up and started serving everyone in the house. Well, by the end of the day, everybody in town had come, bringing their sick and those that were possessed with devils. It was like the whole city was standing outside the door waiting to see Jesus, waiting to be healed. And Jesus healed many of them that were sick and cast out the devils, and he told them not to speak either. He had, he had power over sickness. He had power over the demons. 
Well, the, the day ends, and early in the morning the next day, hours before the sun rises, Jesus gets up and goes out to be alone and to pray. The disciples followed after him, and when they found him, said, hey, everybody's looking for you. Everybody's back. There's a whole lot of people that you didn't heal yesterday and more to come. Um, everybody wants to know where you're at. Well, Jesus surprises us here. We might expect him to say, okay, let's go get to work. Let's go heal the sick. But Jesus says, no, nah, it's time to go to the next town. We can't stay here because I have to go elsewhere. I have to go and preach there too. After all, that's the reason why I came. So surprisingly, they leave the place where he had get, the, his fame had, had gathered and, and he went and went somewhere else. And he went to the next synagogue and the next one and went all through Galilee preaching the gospel and casting out demons. So now we see another area of authority. He's had the authority to call men. He has the authority to, to teach, the authority to cast out demons. And now he has the authority to heal people. He's not just a preacher or just a prophet as, as others were. He has power over sickness. He can do what no man has the power to do. He has the power over, over sickness. Now we read this and said, oh, well, she's got a fever. Take a couple of aspirin, a couple of Tylenol, and she'll, she'll be right as rain. Well, they didn't have that, did they? And, and fever could be a, a very serious thing. And in fact, it may have had even more uh, spiritual connotations uh, to the Jewish people. Because in, if you look over in Deuteronomy 28, um, fever could be the result of a curse from God. Deuteronomy 28, 21. Or 20. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, rebuke, and all that thou settest thy heart unto for to do, until thou be destroyed, until thou perish quickly because of the wickedness of thy doings, whereby thou hast forsaken me. The Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee until thou hast consumed thee from off the land whither thou goest. And the Lord shall smite thee with a consumption and with a fever and with the inflammation, with extreme burning and with the sword and with blasting, with mildew, and they shall pursue, pursue thee until thou perish. And so a curse for disobedience, one of those was, was fever, a sickness and fever. Same, it says the same thing in uh, Leviticus 26. 14 through 16. So not every fever was the curse of God, but sometimes fevers were curses of God. And so this is one of those things where, well, the disciples themselves did it. The man born blind, they say, well, who, uh, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So you get a fever. People who knew the scriptures might say, I wonder what they did to disobey God that, that this curse has come upon them. The text doesn't say, but, but that's in the background. That's in the, the background of, of, this, of this sickness. So it's not just the running a little high temperature and everything's going to be all right. This is a serious situation. Someone is lying powerless. And if we take that 
imagery. They're laying powerless under the curse of God. That's why there's fever anyway. Whether Peter's mother-in-law did anything or not, it's because of sin that there is sickness in this world. It is part of the curse for the man's original sin in Adam. All sickness is a result of, of the fall. And here is someone lying in a sickness as a result of the curse that God put upon man and upon this earth way back in Genesis. Powerless. And this dear loved one who needed deliverance, and Jesus is the only one that could deliver. Jesus is the only one to heal her from, the, from this curse and deliver her from this, this sickness. So that's what we have here. We have um, Jesus having power over the result of a curse. All sickness is a result of that. And Jesus has authority over that. And not just one person, but multitudes. Jesus wasn't a specialist and said, well, I specialize in, in the palsy, but if, you know, if you've got a fever, you're going to have to go elsewhere. No, it didn't matter what kind of sickness they had. It didn't matter what kind of disease. Jesus didn't need blood work. He didn't need a medical history. He didn't need scans and x-rays. But he healed them. By his power, he healed them. Unclean spirits were driven out. And he suffered them not to talk. Jesus showed them in the world seen and the world unseen, he had authority and power to drive them out. In the, in the spirit world, he had the authority to command these unclean spirits. In the uh, microscopic world of, of germs and sickness, he had the authority over, over sickness to heal people. We've seen everyone else's reaction to what's going on here. The, the disciples submitted they were obedient whenever he told them to call. The demons were obedient when he cast them out and told them to be quiet. We see people amazed. We've seen everybody else's reaction to what's going on here. But what's Jesus' reaction to the end of this eventful day? Healing is nice, but it's just a sign that the, the kingdom has come. In Isaiah 35, in uh, verse number 4, It says, uh, Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense, that he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool. In the thirsty land, spring of water, in the habitation of dragons, where each lay, and the grass shall be with reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there. A highway shall be called the way of holiness, and the unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those in the way, faring men, though fools shall not err therein. The, the kingdom has come. Now, we know that this has not been fulfilled in total. We know that this is uh, the kingdom when Christ comes and rules. But it has begun. 
the kingdom is at hand because the king is here. And so because the king is here, he commands and he's obeyed. He has power over the, over the demons and they obey. He has power over sickness, just as it says in Isaiah, as it would be. And, and people are healed. Everywhere he goes, he shows that the kingdom has come. The king is here. Oh, blessed day. Good news. The king has arrived. And that just goes in one ear and out the other with people. They see all the things that he's doing. But not, they don't look to him, the king who has come. So what happens? Jesus wakes up and he prays. You think that he might have been a little tired? He walks everywhere that he goes. He walks to the synagogue. He teaches. That in itself is kind of tiring. Um, that, that can wear you out standing and, and, and teaching. Um, and he did that, but he had to battle with the demon. He goes to uh, Peter's house, and then everybody in town comes over, pressing to see him, healing all these sick people. But he wakes up the next morning, long before the sun comes up, and he goes and prays. Not to pray for, for in front of the crowds, but to pray to his father. And the disciples, it would seem, wanted Jesus to go back. Everybody's looking for you. Jesus, everybody's looking for you. Jason Meyer pointed out that looking in the book of Mark most of the time has a negative connotation. So the disciples were looking for him to, to get him off mission. The Pharisees look for him to test him with a sign. Five times in the book of Mark, people were looking for Jesus to kill him. And the last time in the book of Mark, women are looking for the dead body of Jesus after he'd risen. So people were always looking for Jesus, but looking for the wrong reasons. And the disciples are, are doing that now. They're looking for Jesus. Jesus, you've got to go back and heal these people. They're looking for you. But then Jesus says, no, my mission has come to preach the gospel. I have come to declare the good news, to set the captives free. I didn't come to provide people what they want. I came to save people from their sins. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. In Isaiah 9, 2. I have come as the light of the world. And healing the sick and casting out demons is not the purpose of why I came here. But because I'm here, I can do that. But I came here to save sinners, to, to bring salvation. And the disciples just miss it. They miss it. They see what he does. They're amazed at what he does. But they, they haven't grasped who, he, who is this man. Christ has authority like no other. He preaches, he heals, he commands demons. And for us, God's people, we know the end of the story. We know who Jesus is. We have the prologue to tell us who Jesus is. We, we know how all this ends. We know that he is the, the Holy One, the Son of God. We know that the demons are correct whenever they said that. Even though everyone else misses it. We know that Christ 
came to save sinners. We know that Christ came to defeat Satan. 1 John um, 3.8 says that for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so when we see this, we already know 1 John 3.8. And when he casts him out, these demons, we know that this is Jesus destroying the works of the devil. We know the king has come to crush the head of the serpent. We know that Jesus has come this time to, to, to save and he will come again uh, to, to rule. But consider the people in our text. The people don't know that. We can take comfort from this. We can see this and say, that's Jesus. That's the Jesus I know. That's the Jesus I love. But the people in the text don't know the things that we know yet. They know something is different. They know something's happening, but they haven't. They can't put their finger on it. They don't understand that Jesus is the answer to their problems, but they don't even really understand what their problem is. He called men to be fishers of men to, to preach the gospel. He entered the synagogue preaching the gospel. He left the, the healing ministry to go to another town to preach the gospel. But the takeaway everyone takes is, well, Jesus isn't like the scribes. He's got a lot of power, and he can heal us. But where was the faith? So you see, everybody's running along two tracks. Jesus came in verse 14 to preach the gospel. He goes to the synagogue to preach the gospel. He calls the disciples to preach the gospel. He leaves the healing ministry to go preach the gospel. And everybody else is on this other track. Well, Jesus can tell us what to do. He can... Uh, teach really good. He can heal people. But you see, what, what Jesus came to do is not why people are paying attention to him. They wanted physical healing, but where was the faith? Where was the desire for the healing of the soul? They were amazed at the power, but not at the message. So here's Jesus, the Son of God, come in the flesh, with power and authority over sickness, disease, and the demons. But the most important thing here is what all the people left out. He has the power to save. He has the power to save. And I want you to be amazed at Christ this morning, amazed at his power, stand in awe of him and his work and his authority and the way that he just um, has no fear over any man. Doesn't He has no fear of what people think. He has no fear if people will laugh at him or, or disagree with him. He was bold. He had power and authority in his, his word and in his message and his mission. Stand in awe of this man. But I also want you to believe in him. That this is the Savior, the, the Son of God who came to take away the sins of, of the world. Listen to Jesus and what he was saying. Listen to Jesus and why he came. He tells us, I must go and preach there in the next towns. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. 